From the mess hall of the Joliet Correctional Facility, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men on a mission from God, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I see you're doing the the Jared Leto there. You're taking the microphone out of the stand, and you're going handheld with it. See, when you missed our L.A. Film Critics Association <laughs> dinner, you didn't see Jared Leto give his speech. I did. I watched it. I watched it streaming. Oh, you did? Yeah, I was putting a baby to sleep. I had, I had the baby in my arms, and I was rocking her to sleep, and I'm watching the streaming with the headphones on, and uh, I saw the whole deal. Oh. Yeah. And now did you see James Franco mispronounce <laughs> yeah. Jared Leto's name, and then Jared, Jared Leto, Leto from goes, the back goes, It's Leto. <laughs> and, then, and then Leto goes up and, and says, I want to thank James Franco. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's hysterical. Oh, it's too funny. That was really good. You know, actually, we have the uh, Big Deal Oscar winner on Blu-ray this week yes, to we talk do. about. Yes, we do. Let's, well, let's talk about the Oscars. Uh, we didn't talk about it last week because we, we pre-recorded the show before the Oscars. Yeah, sorry, guys. We pre-recorded the show <laughs> before the Oscars. That's, you know. Because that's, I have to work the day of the Oscars. Yeah. It's a long day for me. And uh, i got to get ready for it. So we're yep. talking about it now. Yes, we are. Which, so. And I have to say that I think ultimately uh, everything turned out as it should. I agree, and and you know what? There's there's a thing that's happening right now. It's it's funny because Twelve Years a Slave is suffering kind of a weird backlash in a way that no other picture gets, and I think it's because of the racial thing. I think there are a lot of people that are out there like it just won because it's about slavery. Well, nobody said Shimbu's List only won because it's about the Holocaust. They didn't. They were like, oh well, Spielberg is due, you know. So I think there's an unfair double standard being applied to this. And that story broke about like, oh my gosh, Academy members say they voted for Twelve Years a Slave without even watching it. I mean, yeah, yeah. It happens every year. This isn't like this is suddenly the first year where people are voting for. Do you honestly think that in uh, in 19, uh, 1989 that everybody saw Rain Man, or do you think that there were maybe some members of the Academy that are like Dustin Hoffman, Barry Levinson, Tom Cruise? I like those guys. Check, check mark. Or I mean, come on. Or they, they or they gave all the screeners to their housekeeper. Yeah. And they said, you watch, what would you and like? I guarantee you, in, in 1983, or it was, yeah, 1983, I guarantee you, tons of Academy members voted for Gandhi without sitting through all three hours of the movie. They're like, it's about Gandhi. Got to give it to Gandhi. <laughs> you know, if, if, if E.T. beats Gandhi, we'll never live it down. But so they gave it to Gandhi. Well, here's the thing. In the, in, in the internet age of, of millions of blogs and, yeah. and movie sites, when people can just talk themselves into the ground yeah. with all these theories and everybody wants to be interviewed, you can always get some piece You'll of always, gossip. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, if, I mean, the bottom line is, as I have always said, don't look to the Oscars to, to validate what you think is the best picture of the year or is a classic or whatever. The Oscars represent only one thing. They are a snapshot in time of what the elite members of the film industry think is valuable among their own. That's all it is. That's all it tells you. It just tells you what do people who are making movies at a given point in time, what do they like? As opposed to the stuff they make, what do they like to watch? And, and, that's, and what do they think is valuable? What do they think is artistic? What do they think is meaningful? That's all it is. And if that's interesting to you, to me it's interesting from a historical scholarly standpoint. If, you look, if I look back in time to see what the filmmaking community valued in 1956 versus what they value today. It just it makes for an interesting study in the evolution of, of the industry. But you know, anybody who's looking to you know, validate it, look, Kubrick never won a Best Director. He never won a Best Picture. Well, look, I mean, you know, because people, people look at the Oscars. Neither did Chaplin. Neither did Keaton. Neither did Lubitsch. Michael so, Keaton? 
Exactly. Because people look at the Oscars as if it's some Supreme Court no. that knows more, sees more, is like this oracle that's telling you what the best picture of the year is yeah. from an artistic standpoint. Like minority, it's like imagine like six thousand minority report yeah. people sitting in those little pods of water, deciding go. what the best picture is. It's not that. And seriously, could we could we get, could somebody cut us a break on? Oh, the show's always so long. How long do they want it to actually be? I mean, that you hand out 25, 24 awards. There are twenty four categories. I want it to be like a, like a high school graduation. They call the name of the category. And just, walk just, up. just walk up and hand it <laughs> That's out. It. I mean, you've got twenty four categories. Okay, so so right there, if you're looking at a three hour show, let, I mean, let, let's backtrack it. If you just assume to read the names, have the, intro, the the people who introduce it do a little bit of banter, and then the person goes up and gives a speech. If you assume three minutes per award, okay. That already there is 75 minutes. You add commercials into that, okay, that's already like an hour and 45 minutes minimum. Okay, you add the opening monologue, you add a bunch of, sh- you add a bunch of songs, you know, you add some, some little interlude montages, you add the, 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 the in memoriam. I mean, you're at two and a half hours. They have minimum, to... and that's the shortest the show has ever been. And those shows that, are, that, that clock out at two and a half hours, it was one like oh, two, two, three years ago that came in at about two forty or something like that. It felt ridiculous. I, I you know, I, I felt like I went to a great restaurant and I and I and I ate a, a you know a Big Mac. It, it just didn't feel you know. I mean, I want I want to feel the weight for an evening. You know, three hours is right. Three and a half hours is fine. Who are these people that are bitching? What do you want? Gosh. By the you way, know? may I just say, Ellen DeGeneres, dud. See, I liked it. Soft. I like soft. She is soft, but but would you rather have soft but sincere and funny, or would you rather have James Franco standing around just looking like, hey man? Well, that well, okay. If those are my choices. I mean, come on. You, what, what you're saying is, would you rather have Ellen DeGeneres or like Ricky anyway. Gervais? Anyway, speaking of James Franco or Franco. Um, Yes. Just saw a movie the other day that he has a cameo in. I'll be talking about it on uh, the 14th on Film Week. KCCC. You saw a movie? I did. We got a ton of movies for Film Week. Yeah. I will be talking about this. It's a significant movie that confused the hell out of me. But uh, uh, James Franco has a, uh, a cameo or a cameo. James Franco has a cameo. And uh, I won't mention what movie it is. But, but tune in to uh, Film Week, the podcast, or, or even at uh, scpr.org on... Uh, on uh, the fourteenth, and I will—I'll uh, tell you all about it because that's going to be really interesting, man. I just, you know, this this week, the the, the 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 crap I have to sit and watch this next week for for film week is just mind-boggling. Grand Budapest Hotel is terrific. And I haven't seen it. You've got to see it. I know I got to see it. I know I got to see it. I've been too he busy. He is on. Wes Anderson is on such a mid-career role right now, and I'm so happy. I'm no, so but you like Fantastic Mr. Fox. I love that. You know, no, but yeah, but, but I'm happy. I really liked uh, Moonrise Kingdom, and what I'm really looking forward to in uh, Grand Budapest. Tell me if I'm wrong. It's very Lubitsch-like, right? Well, you know, it's funny. People have been people have been comparing it to To Be or Not to Be. My thing is that To Be or Not to Be to me was like a very, you know, uh, um, it's it, it seemed like it was really poking its finger at Hitler and the SS. Yeah, I mean, it was like. Sure it was, was like a dangerous movie for the time. You know what I mean? It's, sure was. But, but Grand Pudpest Hotel isn't like that. I mean, no. there's no Hitler character. There's no SS. I mean, there's there, there, there are black... Well, but there are, there are a lot of other Lubitsch films that are not about, you know, uh, World War II and Nazis. And right, but, to be, but people are comparing it to, to be or not to be, which is a real poke in the eye, like a real dangerous yeah. thing to do in 1942, whatever it was. This is like, the, you know, yes, there's a fascist... They're called. They're, they're not called the SS. There's no Hitler. It doesn't have that that sense of danger. Yeah. That to be or not to be had. 
So I, I think that comparison is a little bit facile. So Oscars, yes, um, your, your general your general sense of the Oscars. What? Well, I'm saying here as an award. What, as what I year? think, what I this year, what I find interesting, uh, American Hustle, which you're not a fan of. Yeah, it like, got shut out. Woo! Got totally shut out. It gets the uh, gets the color purple award for for squat. Hang on, uh, I'm going to say something. I'm going to yes. say uh, one, one more time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching American Hustle again when it yes. comes out on Blu-ray. Sure. I'm just saying. It's a collection of great little moments that is not a whole film. That's fine. Here, it, it, it gets the Turning Point Award for, for uh, Squat. Um, these are all movies that got like tons of nominations and won nothing. Turning Point and, and uh, uh, Color Purple. Uh, you know, huge legendary shutouts. Anyway, like 10 and 12 nominations and got nothing. But what I find interesting is that the Best Picture winner won three awards out of its nine. 12 Years a Slave, which we're going to talk about in a second. And then uh, Gravity won seven, which is the most number of uh, Oscars any Warner Brothers film has won since My Fair Lady in 1965. Do you realize that? 1964. 1964. And it didn't get Best Picture. Whereas My Fair Lady did. Yes, but but seven. No Warner Brothers film. I mean, not Unforgiven, not Million Dollar Baby. Pretty much all technical. Yeah, all technical. But what's interesting is there's precedent for that. Do you remember in uh, in, 19, in 1972? Of course you do. We were <laughs> we we remember 1972. Uh, 1972, the same thing happened. Godfather won Best Picture. It won three awards. But the the big winner that year, which also won Best Director, stole that away from Coppola, was Cabaret. It won eight awards. Best Director and this and that and cinematography and all this other stuff. I mean, Godfather 2 won a crap load two years later, but Godfather 1 only got three awards. Cabaret won... Eight. So in, in theory, Cabaret kind of was really the big film that year. But which one has survived the ages? In I think they both of, have. I do. Oh, The Godfather's like... Godfather is the classic film, sure. Yes. But, but I mean, have you watched Cabaret lately? No. That is a hell of a movie. Really? It's a hell of a movie. I've watched it in years. And man, I'll tell you, you just watch that movie and you just go, man, Joel, Joel Grey, you just... Liza, oh man, you guys... He just brought it. Like, Fosse just brought it. And I'm not a huge Fosse fan, generally. You know, like, all that jazz I watch, and I'm like, this is pretty narcissistic. And I met but him once. that's one- what Bob Fosse You know, I met him was. once. I met him once when, when I was an usher. You know, he was doing sound checks in the theater for uh, Star 80, and uh, he was wearing lederhosen. It was the strangest thing in the world. It was, like, Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and he shows up at the Man's National Theater West wearing lederhosen. And I was thinking, you're an odd man, you know? Really strange. But anyway... All right, so 12 Years a Slave, out on Blu-ray uh, and Ultraviolet. It is a Blu-ray and Ultraviolet combo. And uh, here are our special features. A historical portrait, uh, which is uh, basically just you know, cast and crew stuff, featurette, this and that and the other thing. Uh, a little bit on the filmmaking team and the score. That's it. That is all you get. Well, you know now what? that it has one best picture. Now that it has one best you know picture. You know what that means, don't you? A double dip. Yeah, that means a double dip. That's what we're talking about. That means that they threw this thing together super pronto uh, to just take advantage of the Academy Award nominations, but now that it's one best picture, we are probably looking at, I would say, around this time next year, if not sooner, at essentially what they did with uh, Argo, in which I'm still trying to get a hold of, uh, uh, you know, a special edition, maybe even a director's cut. I'd be surprised if there's a director's cut, but a uh, special edition definitely in the offing. This was my number three favorite film of the year. It was my favorite of the five nominees. The only films I liked better were Saving Mr. Banks and uh, Rush, neither of which was nominated, both of which were entirely shut out in the nomination process, which I thought was rather infuriating. But um, 12 Years a Slave, still, I, I thought a really, really good film. And I, I think people who are, who are like, oh, it's too graphic. It's about slavery, man. It's like Schindler's List. Is it too... I mean, when you're depicting something that is of such a historical trauma... Do you? What do you want? 
I don't get it. Nobody has that problem with Saw films. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that bizarre? Isn't that weird? No, nobody, nobody says, oh, Friday the 13th is too graphic for me, man. I just wanted to get into, you know, I wanted to kind of see what Jason was really all about inside. It's like, no, it's it. Stop it. I, I'm What's just happy. I'm just happy for Steve McQueen because I, I was afraid he was going to become, he was going to go deeper and deeper into his own butthole. He didn't, his, though. No, he, he expanded his horizons. See? And I, his, his most mainstream film bingo. to date. I He's agree. the right guy to do it. And he didn't shy away from the difficulties of the story. I agree. Com- I agree completely. And and uh, so I mean, I'm going to recommend people get this now if you don't mind. You know, the fact that they're going to ask you to double dip later with a pile of extras and commentaries and who knows what else they're going to add to it. But I guarantee you, they're going to make you double dip. There's, there's, there's no question about it now that it's uh, it's one best picture. There is there is no question. Fox Searchlight, 20th, 20th Century Fox, they are going to be all over your double dipping butt on that one. Um, the other thing that I will say that I found interesting about the, about the Oscars, no one else has brought this up. Um, the whole tribute, the 75th anniversary tribute to the Wizard of Oz thing with uh, you know, Lorna Luft and... Right, and, Liza and, Minnelli. Right, and, and that, that drag queen who was dressed up as Liza Minnelli in the audience. So sad. Oh, was that, not, that was just an awkward joke, too. You, um, by the way, did, okay, get to your point that I'll talk about Goldie Hawn. Well, well I, you know, everybody was like, oh, Gone with the Wind, it's a wonderful 75th anniversary. And I'm thinking, yeah, but Gone with the or, uh, Wizard of Oz, Wizard I, just, of Oz. I just blew the thing. The Wizard of Oz, 70, but it's also Gone with the Wind 75th anniversary, which is the film that won Best Picture, which was the big film of that year. Why aren't you celebrating Gone with the Wind? Oh, I know, because it would be really awkward to be celebrating Gone with the Wind the same day that you give the award to 12 Years a Slave, wouldn't it? That's true. That would really look kind of weird. But also... A film that more or less celebrates the South and celebrates uh, you know, the era of slavery and romanticizes it, romanticizes the plantation that has Hattie McDaniel playing. You know, a wonderful actress, deservedly won her Oscar, groundbreaking at the time. You know, a black actress winning an Academy Award in Hollywood in, 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 at a time when segregation was still rampant in the country no doubt I'm not going to you know but at the same time in this day and age to celebrate that film on the same day that you celebrate 12 Years a Slave that's not a good thing and that would have been an embarrassment and that's why they celebrated The Wizard of Oz instead of the, uh, Gone with the Wind but don't forget too The Wizard of Oz just came out on a, on a brand new fabulous Blu-ray and just yeah. got distributed in theaters yeah, it did. a few months earlier so sure there's did. always that piece of commerce that you got to sure uh, you got to remember so, uh, wait, not only do we have uh, 12 Years to Slave out on Blu-ray, we have uh, Hunger Games 2, Hunger Games Catching Fire. Which, which, was just a, which caught fire at the box office. Starring, uh, oh, Jesus. Jennifer Lawrence. Starring Jennifer Lawrence and a, and, a, and a bunch of other people. J-Law. Um, I, you know what, I was not a big fan of Francis Lawrence. Um, I, was, I didn't know whether he was going to slam dunk this or shank it, and he kind of uh, slam dunked it a little bit. Yeah. I have to say. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, I mean, she is the series. There is no series without her. That's why I think that Shailene Woodley in Divergent yeah. will seem like a poor man's Jennifer Lawrence. Maybe. I mean, I, I like, like her, but I, I'm just saying, in terms of what Jennifer Lawrence brings, Shailene, Shailene Woodley. If Shailene is, Woodley starred in Hunger Games, it would not be the Hunger Games. No, that's true. But it, but it could turn her into the next Jennifer Lawrence. Now, granted, she doesn't have the sex appeal of Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence has a certain glamour thing. That, that Shailene Woodley doesn't have, and she also has this like raw, self-deprecating sense of you know uh, this is all a bunch of crap, and uh, I'm going to go along with it anyway. Look how how awesome I am. Which might be a little manufactured now. I'm getting a sense that it might be a little manufactured. Uh, yeah, I'm not so- feeling the sincerity. Anymore. You, you, literally, you cannot do something ridiculous every single time you go to any award show ever. You know what I mean? Jared Leto was saying that. I'm sorry, Jared Leto was saying, saying that, that as well. Yeah. Was he? Yeah, he, he's like. Um, 
She keeps falling down. I'm not so sure that's a real deal. <laughs> oh, he really? Who did yeah. you say that to? Yeah, no, he, I don't know. He was an interview. He's, he's like, I don't, I, I'm beginning to think that she's like doing it on purpose. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So there's Jennifer Lawrence. There's Josh Hutcherson, who I wish they would have recast that because he's not that great. Yeah. But uh, it's got a great uh, supporting cast. Woody Harrelson and uh, Lenny Kravitz. Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Jeffrey Wright, whose career never really took off as it should. So here's a chance to see Jeffrey Wright. Always love him. And uh, so this is a good film. It's, it's a good film. It, I, uh, I think know, it's better than the first film. The first film had the burden of having to set up the story. This well, one doesn't have to do that. You just, start, you just start and go. And you get a sneak peek at Divergent on here as well, which more or less looks like pretty much the same kind of deal. Beautiful uh, be- Blu-ray, by the way. Beautiful Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, it's good looking. Um, another movie that really got shafted at the uh, Academy Awards, Inside Lewin Davis, which won Best Picture from the National Society of Film Critics. And everybody that's a like, Coen Brothers thing. It, it, yeah, it's like it's like they are with the Coen Brothers, like we are with Alexander Payne, I guess, in a way. Um, but it, I, I I like this film too. This film's terrific. See, I think this is really minor Coen Brothers. But that's I really okay. Do. Minor Coen Brothers is better than everybody else's major but, films. But this is a movie about a guy about a week in the life of a guy who basically is a screw up and is about one step away from being out of the business, and it's just another week of this screw up's life. And when he starts the when when the movie starts, he's a screw up. When the movie ends, he's a screw up. But maybe. Music is closer to... It's a missed opportunity. Here's, here's, here are my issues with it. And first of all, yes, it's a gorgeous Blu-ray. It looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, Roger Deakins did not shoot it because he was busy shooting uh, Prisoners. That's right. <laughs> so, which is really well shot. I love that film. That's, which that's is really a well good shot. film, uh, too. Really, really well shot. So, I mean, but it still looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a really nicely made film. And uh, Oscar Isaac it gives a great, great lead performance. Carrie Mulligan's wonderful. John Goodman steals the movie. Is that just freaky dude in the in the in the car? Yeah, I mean, Carrie Mulligan. Her, I have to say, her role was a little one note. It, well, here's my problem with the movie. The Coen Brothers have two. Well, they have three gears. Okay, the Coen Brothers have three gears. They have two of their own, and then they have their work for hire gear. And their work for hire gear is, is stuff like. You know what was the, uh, the 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 lady killers? Lady killers. With, or, uh, the uh, the George Clooney thing. Yeah, I was thinking of that intolerable cruelty. Intolerable cruelty, and to some degree, True Grit, because it's a remake, right? So it's almost like they're working with some other piece of material. They're a little bit beholden to it, and they can put their signature on it. But basically, they're just along for the ride. Just you know, it's it's still it's 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 it's, it's already moving, and they're jumping onto the train. And then they got the stuff that they originate and they write, and it's all, it's, it's a them. It's Barton Fink, and it's Raising Arizona, and it's all, you know, it's Hudsucker Proxy. It comes right from their id. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It's not a remake. It's not a sequel. It's not a thing. It's just them. It's pure them. And that, that has two different gears. There's the one that's well thought out, that's fully fleshed out, and they're great stories like Barton Fink. It's just amazing. It just works. It's deep. It's rich. And then there's like, they think of about seven or eight really funny scenes, and they're sitting around the computer, and they're making each other laugh, and they're like, oh, man, it'd be hilarious if he does this, and this guy does this, and this does it. All right, let's just fill in the rest. And they, and they just kind of piece the rest of it together, and it never feels like a fleshed-out movie. It just feels like, uh, almost like, you know, threaded-together sketch comedy. And that goes for Inside Lewin Davis, and that goes for Burn After Reading, which I think is a... I vi- love that movie. That's a funny movie. It's a funny movie, but it's pointless. It's pointless. It's really just a lot of scenes of Brad Pitt being like a you know a gym douchebag and uh, John Malkovich flipping out, and that's it. That's all awesome. the movie is. There's nothing else to it. I, I, it. Turns out I needed nothing else. And this is just a week of this guy just having a bunch yes. of crap happen to him. That's right. Oh, 
because he's a loser at the beginning of the film. All he's right. a loser at the end of the film. Although at the end of the film, if we're closer enough. to the, we're closer to Bob Dylan changing everything, and if, he's not going to be on that train. If that's enough for you, yes, it if is. If that's enough for you, yes, you know, there's a little movie that that did not get a lot of attention last year, and I just thought it was so good. I really thought that I, this is definitely worth seeing. Is uh, the time being. With uh, Frank Langella and uh, Wes Bentley, whose career is you know kind of in the crapper, the guy who was almost Spider-Man and he's just barely floating by. Um, this is such an interesting movie. It is just so cool, and it's a li- you know it's got a li- kind of a minor Hitchcockian vibe to it, but it's not really a thriller. It's a straight-up drama, and uh, Wes Bentley plays a guy. He's an artist. And he's just really, really trying to, you know, he's trying to support his family and he needs, you know, he needs money and he can't sell any of his work. And he takes this very odd job basically doing kind of surveillance work for this eccentric multimillionaire played by Frank Langella, who is very ill and who's just sending him out to, you know, take photographs and shoot video. And he doesn't really understand why. It's like, I'm an artist. Why are you making me do this? And it is such an interesting character study. It, it, it has a, just a great rhythm to it. Frank Langella is magnificent. He's, uh, this guy, is, he's getting roles, man. For oh, a guy man, his he's, age, he's, he's getting good roles. And this so was, is F. Murray Abraham, the two of them. This was released by Cynodyme. And who, Ben Kingsley. You know, Cynodyme makes zero effort. I love Chris McGurk. You know, uh, he did a really good job running Overture. But when he started up with Cynodyme, he basically decided that they were not going to be in the market for Academy Awards or anything like that. They're doing the Magnolia and IFC deal, right? They're just we are day and date video on demand. Day and date video on demand. Crank it out. Make your money in the in the digital space. And you know, if if, if we get an Oscar nomination or whatever, fine. But we're not going to do a campaign. We're not going to push for that because that's not our bread and butter. And it's too bad because this Frank Langella could have been nominated for this. He's that good. And it's just it's so well shot, and it's just um, gotta tell you, I mean, I, I really, really thought this was a, a fascinating film, and directed by a director whose name I am going to completely butcher, Shaviz um, uh, uh, Mafavaz. Yep, yep, that's it. That's it. You win. No, it's uh, you know I'm not going to do the the, the Travolta. But have you have you Travoltaized your name? Actually, I I, I did. Yeah, what, what did it come out as? It, it was lame. Well, really? I thought it would be something funny. What was yours? Uh, mine was Wayne Morphay, I think it was. <laughs> Poor Travolta. <laughs> yeah, it's too funny. No, the, the, the director's name here is Nana Susine Saint, I think. It, it's, it, I'm kind of pronouncing it the French way, but anyway, um, basically a commercial director. Co-wrote the film, directed it, and uh, I think he does an unbelievable job. And that name uh, I will pronounce correctly next time. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that. Because he's, he's, he, I'll, I'll see him in interviews and he'll do a really good job. Uh, wait, here's something you, you never thought you'd hear me say. What? Here's a horror film that I liked. What was it? It's called In Fear. Oh. And uh, this was directed by a newcomer named uh, Jeremy Lovering. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's good. It's tense stuff, man. It's about this young couple. And they're on the way to this uh, you know, Irish music festival. And they, uh, they wind up getting stuck in the back roads, and they're being haunted by this, uh, this crazy guy. They don't know who he is. And they, the only thing they have to protect them is, is, is the car, pretty much, sitting in the car. Okay. And uh, i got to tell you, um, it's good. Very well shot for what it is. Gets a lot of chills out of it. And uh, i got to say, In Fear is much better than I... Than it would nor, nor, 99 films out of 100 of, of this ilk yep. are pretty terrible. But this one is is pretty unsettling, and you know it's uh, it's very effective, and I liked it. All right, you know? it's uh, it's good. In fear, very nice. You know, it's probably the last time I'll ever actually um, recommend a film like this. All but right. I gotta say, it was good. All right, uh, I got a couple here that, uh, uh, well, 
I'll, I'll, I'll be very brief with them both. Um, they, uh, neither one of them is very good, but the, you know, if you like the genre, you'll probably somewhat enjoy them. They're, they're, they're professional enough. They, they're straight to video fare. Um, one is called The Outsider. This is from Image. And uh, if you were to take The Limey and, I love the limey. and cross it with Taken... I love Taken. And cast a, a rugged British TV actor who I love is, rugged British TV actors. Who is uh, nowhere near the league of Liam Neeson or of um, uh, uh, General Zod. T- Terrence Stamp. Thank you. <laughs> Terrence Stamp. Uh, that poor cow. We forgot his name. You know, it's been a long week. Uh, then you would basically get the outsider. And here's the deal. Um, Craig Fairbrass, who's just a big, limey, blokey guy from England, um, this is basically his idea. He stars in it, and he you know, cooked up the story, and uh, the, he plays a guy who's a former special ops, or he's still special ops in the movie, and his daughter is allegedly murdered in Los Angeles, so he flies back to, you know, take care, to identify the body, and of course it turns out to not be his daughter, so where is his daughter? She's, she's been kidnapped, what's going on, what's she gotten into? And he decides to be a one-man wrecking crew to sort of sort through it all. And then, of course, Jason Patrick is the cop who, you know, hey, man, you're, you know, you're not the law here. I'm the law. He's, he's on the case. And, you know, they eventually collide and then have to collaborate, yada, yada, yada. You've seen this a million times. So uh, that said, it's, it's pretty silly. It's pretty boilerplate, pretty generic stuff. James Caan plays the heavy, just walks through it, completely snoozes through the part. But because, you know... It's, uh, it's Jason Patrick and James Caan. It feels better than it really is. And Craig Fairbrass gets to kind of you know, surf on their coattails. And then we also have Enemies Closer, a movie that is really unbelievably stupid. Uh, but somehow I wound up actually enjoying it in an incredibly campy way. This is directed by uh, a young director named Peter Hyams. He's new on the scene. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. He's new on the scene, but boy, he's, he's got some chops. He's done, he's done a couple of Van Damme films in the past. <laughs> Well, not only that, his son, who is the worst director in the world, uh, has been directing like the last several um, Universal Soldier movies, which Van Damme has been in as well. So, I mean, Van Damme, like, must, he must have dinner at the Hyams house every week or something. I don't know. They'd okay, say, Peter he's, Himes he's directed... The only per- he's the only reason either of them are getting movies made right now. Okay, Peter Himes directed three movies I liked. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Outland. Yeah. Um, Time Cop. Yeah. And 2010. Okay, I, I agree with you in Outland. I like 2010, despite a lot of reservations. Uh, Time Cop, I think, is a piece of junk. But, but, <laughs> it's got Ron Silver. But I also like Star Chamber a lot. Well, that's right. Star oh, Chamber yeah, Michael a, Douglas, Star yeah, Chamber. Star Chamber is a good movie. Hal Holbrook. That's right. Good movie. Good movie. And, it, and in, in Pound for Pound, that may be the best movie that he's ever done. That, maybe, that and Outland. It's a tough, tough call. But anyway. Um, so here's the deal. Enemies Closer. Here's the deal with this stupid movie. All right. So um, Tom Everett Scott, remember him? Yeah, from That Thing You Do. Yeah. And uh, Orlando Jones, remember him? Yeah, from That Thing You Do. Yeah, no. Uh, Orlando Jones from the Pepsi commercial, or from the 7-Up commercials, right? And then he had a moment. And now that moment's gone. Now that moment's gone. Well, anyway, here's the deal. Uh, there's, there's some, like, island on the border with Canada where it's a park, and Tom Everett Scott is the ranger, and, like, a, a private plane filled with cocaine or heroin or whatever the hell it is, it crashes and it sinks and yada yada. And then uh, suddenly he finds himself at odds with Orlando Jones, who's trying to avenge the death of his brother, like, in Afghanistan when Tom Everett Scott was his commander or some crappy thing like that. And while they're having their little mano a mano, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme is the evil leader of these uh, French-Canadian Mounties 
who uh, are evil looking, French Canadian Mounties. Yes, who are looking for the drugs. It's villainous Canadians. Villainous, villainous Canadians. It's hysterical when they show up looking like Dudley Do-Right and Van Damme, who has hair like Heat Miser, right? He's got this flaming red hair that just sticks straight up. He says, close the door after me. Don't come near until you hear somebody scream. And, then, you know, and he just like lays into people. And he's just being a like, complete psychopath. And I'm thinking, this movie is crap. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. But honestly, by the end, Van Damme is like on laughing gas. This guy is the most obnoxious, over-the-top movie villain you have ever seen. There's suddenly nothing that he can't do. He, it's, it, it, you start laughing. It, you just have to throw the, you, you just throw caution to the wind. It is just <laughs> too funny. When he, when he comes out and he just cracks his neck and he goes, good, I like playing in trees. It's just, it's, it's just blissful. It becomes so stupid. I think you, you he just knows like, it's stupid. You just, you just want to rip everything up and just go, I'm just along for the ride. Just he, be stupid. He knows it's stupid. Of course he does. On the other end of the spectrum is uh, Mademoiselle C. Now, this is a documentary uh, on the uh, life of uh, Karine Reutfeld, who ran French Vogue for 10 years. You know, I watch this thing, and they interview all the, uh, all the usual suspects, Tom Ford and Karl Lagerfeld and yep. uh, Kate Upton and Versace and Diane von Furstenberg. I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, there's some charming moments in this, but unless I'm a total fashion fetishist, I don't really care. Yep. I so uh, what I'll say is if you're a total fashion fetishist, go for it. Yeah. And rock and roll. Yeah. But uh, I don't really know. To me, it's like all these great people are talking about a woman who is not as great as they are. So I don't really know why she deserves a documentary. But, I watched um, that. I thought it was fine. Yeah, there's a couple of charming scenes. I thought it was fine. But uh, yeah. otherwise, Karl Lagerfeld looks like a... Just yep. a bizarre human being. Yes, he does. Yes, he does indeed. So, uh, here's yes, the thing. There's a guy who, um, who once went to prison for uh, molesting uh, a kid. He's a film director. His name is Victor Salva. He's going to have that around his neck forever. Because unlike Woody Allen, he actually was accused and convicted and prosecuted and did time. Okay? So, let's, let's be clear on that. So, I don't have a problem just pointing that out. Victor Salva. Guy's got a record. He's also a hell of a director. Um, I, I really only liked one of his films, which is Powder. That's like the only real movie I think he's ever made, and I think it's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, but Jeepers Creepers had all kinds of uh, you know stuff going for it, and now he did another. He's done another horror, horror film called Dark House, and it's you know what? It's very competent. It's stylish. The guy knows how to put a movie together. I'll tell you. I mean, for for a fat, scary dude who you know, I'm assuming he's still fat. Uh, if you ever see Victor Salva, you're like. Ooh. But Yikes. Look, let's say you're putting let's let's say you're putting this film together. You are the production company. Yes. And you think to yourself, we need a director. Who is going to direct our film? We got to send them, we got we got a good script. Mm-hmm. It's workable. We got uh, whatever uh, you know, 3 million bucks, 5 million bucks to throw at it. Uh, that's our budget. You know, we got uh, you know, 21-day shooting schedule. Who can we throw at this movie? Hmm. Well, who's on our list? How about the child molester? Let's give it to him. Mikey, yeah. he likes it. He'll direct anything. And I kind of wonder like if there's any qualms about offering him this project like you got to figure of all the directors True. out there they give it to him well dark house here's the deal it's, it's about a guy basically who can touch people and he knows when how they're going to die and oh it's it, like that twilight zone with the mirror when you look in the kinda, mirror kind of kind of i mean and, they're, they're, and there's and it, and it turns into a bit of a it's it's like a horror thriller more than anything else his mom's in a in a in the loony bin and you know he uh, he finds out he thought his dad was dead and his dad's still alive and, and so it becomes kind of a, a journey of self-discovery a little angel hearty in a way but I gotta tell you, I love Angel Heart. I do too. So good, but it's a, it, it's decent. It is it is absolutely decent. And then uh, a director named Henry Barrial uh, made a movie called Pig. Now, uh, Pig is this got kind of a little bit of traction. Um, I don't know if this actually got a proper theatrical release last year, but it's a little it's. Um, 
it's not really a horror film. It's kind of uh, like a like a sci-fi thrillery thing. But anyway, a uh, guy wakes up in the desert. He's he's been kidnapped, and uh, he's been you know had a hood on him. These people like you know dragged him out to the desert, uh, but he has no idea who he is or how he got there. And it's I guess you could compare it in some sense to either Wrecked, which was the thing with Adrian Brody, right. or Memento. It's a little bit like somewhere between the two. I, it's for some in some sense, a little bit more like Wrecked. Because you, did you see Wrecked? No. Adrian Brody, he wakes up in a, in, a, in a car crash, like down this ravine, and there's like money spilling out the back of the car. And he has absolutely no idea what's happened. There's like dead guys with guns in the car, and he's like, who am I? And then he hears a, new, a report about a robbery, and he thinks, oh my gosh, I'm a criminal, and I just robbed, and these guys are dead, and what's going to happen to me? It's really interesting. It's a good, good little indie. Anyway, there's a little bit about that going on, but it's but when it gets into discuss, uncovering the past, it's a little bit memento y. Um, not bad. Kind of misses the misses a couple of crucial beats, but uh, Henry Barrial, I think the guys, uh, you know, if people can't put this film on their radar, it'll be they'll, they'll you know get a little vibe going. He'll, he'll get a vibe going. He will. <laughs> uh, Wade, uh, there's this guy, uh, Terry Fader. Yeah. And I saw a documentary on uh, ventriloquism once, and they had this guy, Terry Fader, who I'd never heard of. And he walks on. In this documentary, they recount how he became famous, which I didn't know. The guy walks on to America's Got Talent with his little puppet. Was it what is Steve the Puppet? Whatever the puppet's name was. Yeah. And he starts to sing. The puppet starts to sing At Last, right? The famous mm-hmm. James At Last. Yep. And... Literally, you're like in tears. It's so good. The guy was able to ventriloquize yeah. at, at last, which is a belt him out song, yeah. through this ventriloquist dummy, floored everybody. Floored me. He won America's Got Talent. He became nice. famous, got a Vegas deal, a whole nine yards. Nice. And uh, this is a documentary, not a documentary, it's a concert film called Terry Fader Live in Concert. Um, so the question becomes, do you want to see 96 Minutes of Terry Fader? Um, no. Eh, not really. I, I want to see... 30 minutes of Terry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know what? He's funny. He's got a lot of different puppets and does a lot of impersonations. He does like Dean Martin and Aretha Franklin and Lady Gaga. And who doesn't see, he's not really very impersonable, impersonable to me. But um, yeah. So look, if you like him, you'll love this thing. I was blown away by the way he did At Last on America's Got Talent. And even then, I'm like, all right, uh, I can take about half of this. Nice. Speaking of in concert, Eric Clapton, the 70s review. Eric Clapton, as you know, is one of the guitar gods, and this uh, documentary is made from the same people who did Eric Clapton, the 60s review, and uh, it just follows Clapton's journey in the 70s. He was in, you know, Delaney and Bonnie, and, and he was in Derek and the Dominoes, and, you know, and he and in the mid-70s, he wound up being a solo artist. You know, as I, as I, it's funny, because as I remember it, Clapton did not want to sing. He did not think he could sing. He just wanted to play guitar. But then eventually he wound up singing and became a solo artist. And he's quite, I mean, he's a good singer. He's got a real honey dripper kind of voice and a very distinctive voice. And of course, he's a god as a guitarist. He's gone soft a little bit over the years. But um, so there's a lot of rare performances. And uh, Bonnie Brownman is in this and uh, Willie Perkins. And it's good. Really good stuff. Eric Clapton, the 70s Review, which is the sequel of sorts to Eric Clapton, the 60s Review. Now, wait, uh, I have one more thing in my little pile yep. I'm going to get to. You know, now you know how annoyed I am at Red Sox fans. Because Red am. Sox fans, although they won another World Series, like their third in ten years, yeah. they spent all these decades thinking that like everybody should pity and yeah. they, they're the most they're more put upon than Jesus Christ. Yes, I know. Uh, being nailed to the cross. 
But the funny thing is that Which is another scene that people were upset about having to watch in a movie. It's like it's a, it's a crucifixion. What do you want it to be? <laughs> like 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 puppies having dinner? Give me a break. They, they should have just tickled him. Gosh. They should tickle him. Okay, carry on. Anyway, so uh, even though I know the Red Sox fans thought that like they were literally like Christ on the cross yeah. putting up with 86 years of futility. You know, there's a team that's even worse, the Cubs. Mm-hmm. You realize that the Cubs were all, they were always worse than the Red Sox, but the yes. Cubs fans, they don't complain. I know. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Anyway, um on, uh, one of my D- favorite one of my favorite yes. things is the list of all the things that have happened since the Cubs last won the World Series. It's really funny. This is like two World Wars. And- oh, it, it, no! It's it's like it's like uh, you know uh, the, the the steam engine was invented. You know the Punic <laughs> Wars were finished. Uh, man discovered fire. It's, it, it's really it's it's quite funny. Anyway. That's awesome. Uh, but this uh, DVD from MLB uh, Films, and I hate the fact that they continue to put these out on DVD and not Blu-ray. Drives me nuts. But anyway, is Wrigley Field home of the Cubs? 100 years of Wrigley Field. Now, Wrigley Field is a shrine. I've been there a couple times. It's great. I do have to say, as much as Red Sox fans annoy me, I think that uh, Fenway is the ultimate baseball shrine. Yes. Uh, It was a complete honor and pleasure to see a game there. I've been to Wrigley Field a couple times. It's quite fun. It's good. Uh, It's always hot there in the summertime. But anyway, this is all about about, um, the friendly confines. They interview a lot of the um, greats who were there, you know, uh, Ferguson Jenkins and Ron Santo, who passed away. Um, and it's great. Ernie Banks, who's still around, I believe. And um, it's great. If you're a Cubs fan, got to get it. If you're a baseball historian, you got to just at least rent it, skim through it, because uh, a lot of great baseball happened in uh, Chicago. Nice. Good stuff. All right. I'm going to blow through a few things here uh, before oh, we Oh, you'll get... blow, all right. Oh, yes, I will. We're going to get through our, our, our A pile. Uh, one of these came out in December, and I want to make mention of it now, because it uh, took me a while to get around to it. But this is a legendary television thing. It's, uh, it is Gene Kelly... Uh, dancing a man's game, and do you remember Omnibus? This oh, is yeah. before your time and mine, but it's Omnibus was like an amazing series on television in the 1950s. I mean, it was—it's just—it's like they commissioned some of the best television ever, and uh, a little bit of it has trickled out, but not all of it. Somebody should really do a box set of all the Omnibus stuff. That being said, we're getting pieces of it, and this is one of them. This is uh, this was from 1958. And Gene Kelly got a, his first television special where he pulled in a lot of like amazing a- uh, figures from athletics like uh, Sugar Ray Robinson and Dick Button when he was still a skater before he became the most annoying commentator in history. And um, uh, Bob Cousy, Mickey Mantle, really amazing, Johnny Unitas. And all these guys uh, were part and parcel of this special where he was demonstrating the manliness of dancing. He wanted to sort of kill this... The stereotype of dancing is like a you know as, as like a very fey thing is not very athletic, not very manly. He wanted to really you know uh, kind of destroy the stereotype, and it is uh, it's fantastic. It is just really really uh, it's unusual. It's it's different from anything you've ever seen before. And uh, the remastering that they've done, I wish they'd have put this on a Blu-ray because it was originally um, uh, you know kinescope material like a lot of uh, 1950s television. Uh, and they remastered it from the original kinescopes and uh, the ones that are you know, in the Library of Congress. And it looks absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. So from 1958, uh, Dancing a Man's Game, Gene Kelly. And then also there's a movie called Homefront, uh, which is you know, pretty generic movie stuff. Uh, it's got everyone in it who's showing up in every movie these days, namely James Franco and Jason Statham. And you're thinking, my goodness, what took them so long to work together? Uh, I'm sorry, James Franco. James Franco, Jared Leto, James Franco, and and uh, and and Jocelyn Statham. Um, so here's the deal: uh, James Statham, J- J- Jason Statham, <laughs> plays an ex DEA agent, much like Liam Neeson 
in uh, his new uh, his nonstop nonstop plays a, an air marshal. And my question is, can't we get any Americans to actually be in our law enforcement uh, services, our federal law enforcement services? Like, does everyone suddenly have to have an English or an Irish accent who's defending the United States? Yeah, what but it's Liam Neeson. He's cool. Yeah, I know. But He's 61 years old. His but, wife died. Give him a break. But sound like an American. Come on. T- these guys are actors. Even Jason Statham, as stiff as he is, he can learn to not talk Cockney for just a second or two. Hire that's a voice part of, coach. That's part of his charm. Whatever. The Cockney thing is part of his charm. I guess. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, he's you know he's he's ex DEA and he's got a little daughter and they retire, but they keep dragging him back in because where he retires to, it's you know they just keep dragging him back in. And James Franco's down there, uh, basically doing a kinder, gentler, uh, equally murderous version of the guy that he is in uh, in that horrible, horrible Harmony Corinne movie, Spring Breakers. Oh, I love that movie. Anyway, there you go. So um, Stallone wrote this thing. And uh, should be embarrassed that he did because there's just nothing that great about it. It's called Homefront. It's also got Winona Ryder and Kate Bosworth doing absolutely nothing. It's on Blu-ray with ultraviolet. I can't. I see no point really. It's you know generic as all hell. Okay, I'm going to blow through a bunch of docs here real quickly. Um, so we've got from the uh, Athena line of educational titles of Acorn, which is a Robert Johnson company like Image, uh, talks about nothing. Which is really totally interesting and unusual. This is uh, about a, a sponsored thing from uh, back in 2010-2011 at the uh, Rubin Museum of Art in New York where uh, they paired a lot of great thinkers off to talk about the concept of nothing, which has, you know, you'd think, like, how, how can you talk about nothing? And yet, you know, it's like to be or not to be, right, in Hamlet? That's about nothing. The whole soliloquy is about nothingness. And that's what they get into. They get into the whole concept of nothingness and non-existence, and it, it gets very deep and kind of intimidating. And uh, it's really existential and spiritual and sort of fascinating, especially considering how, how you know, weighty it is. And then we also have the science of measurement, taking the measure of the world. Uh, this is from the guys who did the story of math. And, uh, you know, we kind of take measures for granted, but this is just amazing. They get this Oxford mathematician to sort of uh, go through the entire history and process of developing measurement and standardizing measurement. And as boring and dull as you think that is, it's really freaking interesting. Somebody had to decide what a cup is. It's true. Eight ounces. Why is a tablespoon uh, three teaspoons? You know, a yard used to be the distance from the king's nose to his thumb or some crap like that. I mean, you know, whatever. And then Brian Cranston narrates the uh, History Channel release. Ooh, speaking of Brian Cranston, did you see the Godzilla trailer? No. (gasps) The new one? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Did you see Monsters, Gareth Edwards' first film? Yeah, I did. It's, I mean, for for what it is, I'm glad they gave it to him. He's got promise. It's not just like giving it to like Michael Bay. It's being junk. Well, you know, they should have given it back to... uh, Roland Emmerich. Yeah. (laughs) Because then he cast Jeff Goldblum again. By the way, Jeff Goldblum, also in a movie that I'm talking about on Film Week uh, next week. Delightful. Unbelievable how he almost steals this movie. It's fantastic. What movie? I'm not going to tell you. He, you know, he's also in Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, is he? Yes, he is. Oh, he's so fr- he's so freaking good, and he never ages. Like he looks young. He looks the same as he did. He really does. It's like since Brown Shoe and Speed Freak. What was that called? <laughs> ten, ten, ten Speed and Brown Shoe. That's the show. That's the show. Awesome. Uh, ever since that show, uh, Speed Freak. You like how I come? Anyway, uh, no. Ever since, he's not aged. He's like gotten buffer and better and cooler and a little bit graying in the hair, but he still does that weird thing. 
And it's so funny. I mean, it never gets old. That, that's, I mean, he's so imitatable. He just never gets old. It never he gets old. He does this thing with his hands where he's got these huge hands. Yeah, but he's oblivious. It's like in every movie he does, someone could just go, you're a jerk. And he'd go, I like how you say that. Could you, could you do that again? <laughs> and, you, and you can write for him. Very distinct. You can write stuff for that because no one else can pull that off. But you're like, wow, you can actually pull that weird stuff off. I'm going to write more of that. It's brilliant. He's like everyone's dream actor. Anyway. Uh, no, big history. Uh, so this is this is a History Channel thing. Brian Cranston narrating it. I assume he's going to be amazing in uh, Godzilla, based on what you say. Awesome. And uh, this is just a re- this is just really fantastically cool little historical tidbits. This is almost like uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not uh, elevated to a uh, to to a history level of importance. The things from the past that connect to the present. You know, you got you talk they talk about salt and. Uh, and uh, you know time machines and it's just it's really kind of amazing so uh, a lot of fun to actually watch it's three discs it's a lot of material just put it on the background and blow your mind while you're watching it and then look quickly, quickly a bunch of PBS titles before we get into some uh, TV uh, we got the uh, from nature the funkiest monkeys a uh, friend of mine has often said monkeys should never be filmed they don't belong on television I'm inclined to agree with him these what? monkeys freak me out but if awesome. you like monkeys I guess you'll like the funkiest monkeys uh, Reportero is a um, uh, is a PBS documentary that uh, gets into the. It, you go to Tijuana and um, you're basically immersed in the whole horrors of the drug cartel and 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 everything that goes bad down there, and it's it's pretty awful. And uh, it seems more timely now, ever since they caught what's his name uh, Chalupa. Like, uh, like, what's his name? Uh, oh, El Chapo? Yeah, El Chapo. El Chalupa. Something. I knew it was... Anyway, it, the, the whole kind of Tijuana drug thing is, is pretty insane. Uh, Great Cathedral Mystery, which is all about uh, the uh, engineering of the cathedral in Florence, which is great history. It's fascinating. We take for granted that we can build anything that we want in this day and age in the 21st century, and uh, you forget that when you go back centuries to places like Florence... Uh, people didn't it's pretty amazing uh, it's, it, the engineering feat of this thing is just dazzling and that's really interesting and then Alien Planets Revealed an episode of Nova and it's amazing I mean, we, we grew up thinking are there planets in other solar systems and now we've got you know the, the hundreds of thousands and millions of them there's bajillions of planets everywhere yes, and they're discovering are. them every single day anyway uh, and this is, this is all about the, uh, the te- Kepler telescope and how it finds planets and how it is that you know the thing that we thought was, was going to be so cool when it finally happened is now so routine the kids they were like you used to think that there weren't any planets well soon we're going to find uh, yeah. people on them or big insectoids sure really we will take us over yes uh, Wade um, direct TV is getting into the original series business with Rogue. Of course they are. Now, um, this show this, sh- this show got some good reviews. I think it's pretty stupid. But anyway, uh, Tandy Newton, who is just so gorgeous, I just love her. Yeah. Remember that shot in Mission Impossible 2 where she spins out in that, in that Ferrari, whatever it is? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's just the best. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she plays a detective who was, uh, her son was murdered, and she may, she feels guilt about that, and she's got to solve it. And that's what happens in season one. You know why I don't like this show? Hmm. I've decided that I don't like any TV show, movie, book, or any fictional endeavor. That, that features women. No. Yeah, well, there's that. But okay. I mean, beyond that. Yes. Where the, if there's a woman lead character, yes. her name is Grace. It's so like, if we call her Grace, then people will like her more because Grace implies, uh, you know, an uh, you know, uh, uh, angelic, my, what? My, my daughter has a first cousin named Grace. Uh, that's fine. In real life, it's fine. <laughs> but 
like that's like a shortcut to make you like yes. a, a a female character in a movie or a TV yes. show. Call them Grace. Do you, do you do you you know there's a, there's a great line in. Do you remember this line from Hope and Glory, the John Borman film? I haven't seen that since 1989. One, one of my favorite lines in that movie is where um, the grandfather. Remember they go to the countryside. The kids they they spend it with their grandfather. The grandfather's you know this crusty old dude, and and he has um, his four daughters, one of whom is the kid's mom, and he names them off. And and, and the line is uh, Grace. Faith, hope, and charity. My wife named our daughters after all the virtues that I lacked. It's a great line. Fantastic line. And a great movie. And the way he delivers it is just beautiful. Uh, Siberia, season one. This is an interesting show. I kind of yes. like this show. This was on NBC, but nobody really paid much attention to it. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. It's, got, it's about a uh, reality show where they're uh, dumped in, into Siberia, and they have to fend for themselves. Of course, it turns out that it's not really a reality show. And, and Liam strange Neeson things start is there, happening. and there's a wolf, and there's Liam Neeson. With Liam Neeson and a wolf, that means the gray. Yeah, you saw the gray. I finally did. Yes. Oh, I love that movie. It's great. It's fine. What? It's fine. So good. I guess. It's all existential. Anyway, I suppose uh, Siberia. It's, uh, it's it's not bad. Anyway, finally on uh, on DVD, not Blu-ray, is L.A. Law. Now, L.A. Law is one of the last great 80s series to uh, finally come out on uh, DVD. I did not watch this show. I didn't like this show. I was more of a Hill Street Blues guy, mm-hmm. uh, which is also created by Stephen Bochco, same guy. But uh, people loved L.A. Law. The thing lasted forever. I, I, I was in L.A. Law. I admit it. It was the last legal show that I actually paid attention to. I mean, it was with uh, Corbin Bernson was there and July Canberry and Jimmy Smith, who's still around. Harry Hamlin, he's kind of still around. Yeah. You know, some of these guys are still around. So L.A. Law was a very popular show, a great show. It was on NBC for like eight years. And uh, yeah, so it's finally on DVD. Nice. 22 episodes. You know, so uh, there you go. I mean, there's some, the bonus features are just new interviews with all the uh, main cast people. But uh, the good folks at Shout Factory finally did something that nobody else had the guts to do. Come out with L.A. Law on DVD. I can't believe it took that long. Anyway, uh, a lot of new interesting uh, collections, two-season collections from Mill Creek. These are all shows that have been out previously, but we're, we're getting to that point now where they're, uh, they're piling up the seasons into, uh, into doubles. Uh, one of these is not a double, uh, and one of these is a complete series, but the others are all two combos. And uh, if, so I'm going to start first with Dilbert, the complete series from Mill Creek. Uh, Dud. You know what? It's okay. Dud. It's fine. It's fine. I, it's a better strip than it is an animated show, but you it's know still what? funny. The, the strip is funny. I, I, I feel I It's feel office like, space. I, you know, that's true. I yeah. feel like, uh, as a person who grew up on comic strips and still has a holds comic strips yeah. in, in his heart, I feel like it is almost like... Saying I love Garfield. Yeah. Saying I love uh, Dilbert because Garfield's yeah. so terrible. But Dilbert is kind of funny. The yeah. show, not funny. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's very office spacey. I, I, it's fine. Don't mind it. And then uh, we also now have a bargain price to Charlie's Angels season one, Ooh. which is, uh, you know, it, it, this was out before from, uh, from Sony and uh, they've released the whole series. And now it's gone to sort of individual bargain price seasons. And that's fine. It's still a great show. I love this show. Cannot get enough of it because I grew up on it and I was in puberty when the show was on television. And then here are the double seasons. Uh, I knew that I had a problem yeah. in life yeah. when uh, my father asked me which... No, I think my father asked me like... And I was a kid, obviously, a quite prepubescent kid. But my father asked me, is there like an actress who you think you would want to like buy a poster of and put in your room? You know, Your dad asked you that? Yeah. Cool dad. And... Of all the Charlie's Angels, yeah. I said Kate Jackson, who was like like the least sexy of the three. I said well, she Kate was the Jackson. brainy one. Yeah, you you were looking at the beauty on the inside. I was. Yeah, that's what you were doing. And here I am. You're uh, out of your mind. Still single. Uh, yeah. All right. 
anyway, here are the double ones. We got uh, Wings, the complete uh, third and fourth season. Uh, Bewitched, seasons one and two. Married with Children, seasons one and two. Just Shoot Me, seasons one and two. Good Time, seasons one and two. And The Cosby Show, seasons one and two. Um, all perfectly fine shows. I obviously like some of these a little better than others. I'm I, a huge fan of We Bitched. I mean, Bewitched. And uh, Wings eventually grew on me. Uh, I, I mentioned seasons three and four because I don't like the first two seasons of Wings. Uh, seasons three and four actually kind of funnier at that point. They sort of got the groove on the show. It took a long time to take off. Married with Children, uh, first two seasons, very weird. Very weird. Nobody's in character yet. It, like The lines are really obvious. The, the laughter is just a weird cross between studio audience and canned. It's very odd, strange to watch. Uh, just Shoot Me has always been a funny show. Good Times, I, I, I like everything except for Jimmy Walker, who drives me crazy. And The Cosby Show was always a really smart show. So there it is. Those are now in two-pack sets, Mark. Two-pack Shakur? Yes, indeed. All right. Um, we are going to... Uh, we're nearing the end of the show, and I, I have a ton of kid vid that I'm going to blow through at the end of the show on the, the usual Will Wade's daughter actually watch these. Uh, but we've got some, uh, some classic movies that we're going uh, to get to momentarily here. And uh, I'm going to start... How long is the show, Wade? Huh? How long is the show going to be? Uh, you know, the usual length. We're, we're, not, we're not yet at an hour, dude. Yeah. We're, we're, we're clocking in there. Um, Anyhow, the, uh, we have a couple of Warner Archive collection titles that should be mentioned. Uh, one of them is uh, What Price Hollywood, which is uh, it, it's not a great film, but it's an interesting historical film, and um, it's worth watching if you want to sort if you're a you know big George Cougar fan, and if you you know want if you're a Cougar completist or if you're a David Selznick completist. Uh, this is uh, one of the unsung films from uh, one of their unsung collaborations. And uh, it is, uh, it's an interesting behind-the-scenes look at Hollywood. And uh, it's not like other backstage Hollywood portraits of the time. This one is actually surprisingly accurate and uh, a little bit edgy. So um, even though it's not ultimately a great film, it's a fascinating film. And uh, this comes from the RKO library. It was, uh, you know, RKO had its own imprimatur at the time. And um, Warner Brothers obviously inherited it now that they have all the RKO stuff, which fell in with MGM and that whole nonsense. And then we also have the uh, Vitaphone Comedy Collection, Volume 2. This is all shorts featuring Shemp Howard of the Three Stooges, Shemp's. Uh, shorts that he did between 1933 and 1937. And uh, it's good fun. A lot of good fun. You, uh, you know, most of us think of Shemp as the guy with the really bad haircut of the Three Stooges, who all had bad haircuts, except for Curly, who had no hair. But, uh, you know, and Shemp's the guy that would always go, <laughs> You remember that, right? Three Stooges? Dud. Oh, come on. Nope, dud. Done. Yeah. Not funny. They poke themselves in the eye. Big deal. Anyway, some good good shorts here. Some really good shorts. Uh, on the Wagon, uh, uh, Blonde Bomber, Here's How, uh, For the Love of Pete, A Peach of a Pear. A lot of really fun stuff. So if you love uh, Vitaphone shorts, you're going to dig all that stuff. And then uh, we've also got a couple of films that I'm... Um, one from Paramount and one from Fox. Uh, they're on Blu-ray. You're not going to hear much about it because they're obviously not uh, pushing them too hard. But Samson Delilah, which uh, came out on DVD in a restored version not too long ago, is now out on Blu-ray. This is one of uh, those cheesy biblical films that Cecil B. DeMille did back in the day. And um, it, it's, it's quite funny how the credits read that it is uh, adapted from Samson Delilah in the Holy Bible, Judges 13 to 16. Like, that's on the credit bed. Uh, it, of course, stars uh, Victor Mature as Samson and uh, Hedy, uh, Hedley. 
Hedy Lamar as uh, Delilah, and uh, she's great. And you know what? Victor Mature is just a bad actor. He just really is. He's just a big cheese ball. But you know, it, it's it, it, it's an interesting Cecil B. DeMille biblical cheese chunk of cheese from the era. Angela Lansbury shows up and you know tries to class up the joint, but it doesn't really work too well. And uh, so it's it's a novelty. But if you're a you know DeMille fan, you, you'll be all over it. And then the Agony and the Ecstasy, which is a, an incredibly awesome movie, uh, really really unheralded in in this day and age. People have totally forgotten about this film, directed by Carol Reed, of course, who did The Third Man and Oliver and many other brilliant films. One of the great British directors of all time. Amazing score by Alex North. And this is, of course, the uh, legendary, based on the book, uh, the legendary story of how uh, Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel uh, and fought with Pope Julius II uh, over it. And it was, you know, the, the struggle between these two men. The one was the, the patron and the other one the artist. And uh, Charlton Heston plays Michelangelo and uh, uh, Rex Harrison plays uh, Pope Julius. And it's great. It's just a fantastic film. It's powerful. It's uh, dramatic. It's beautiful widescreen. It's a fantastic film. It's one of Carol Reed's best movies. And it is out on Blu-ray from 20th Century Fox and None Too Soon. you got to go run and get this one. This belongs on the shelf. It will just bring the classic era all the way back. You will love it. Hi, Wade. Yep. Uh, Hairspray from John Waters. This is the uh, earlier version of Hairspray from 1988. This is delightful. This is John Waters as we never thought we'd see him. Sweet. Being absolutely delightful. This is uh, Sonny Bono, Ruth Brown, Divine, of course, Ricky Lake, Jerry Stiller. This is just a terrific show. It's, um, everybody knows it. Uh, it was remade with uh, John Travolta in drag. But you've got to get the original. John Waters, who, of course, is the ultimate purveyor of just bottom-dwelling trash, winds up going mainstream and Sweet. H- hitting out of the park. Nice. So liked it a lot. This first time on Blu-ray, I would definitely at least rent this. It's delightful. It's great. Love it. Hairspray. Check that out. Also, uh, Criterion Goodness this week. Now, wait, David Gordon Green. Yes. Strange director. I know. What, think? What, he makes good movies, and then he starts making a bunch of crap movies, and then he makes Your Highness, and I'm about to write him off. I'm like, he sold his soul to the devil. What the hell's wrong with him? And then he turns around, and he's starting to make his, his old kind of, you know, uh, arty films again. It's very strange. I don't know what's up with him. He just sold a TV series, too. He's a nice guy. I've interviewed him. I just don't know why he started making those horrible comedies. I don't know either. Pineapple well, Express and Your Highness. Like, he, he needs money. Well, the first thing he ever directed is George Washington, yeah. which was got him on the map and is amazing. It's a wonderful film. It, uh, it's great. It, it reminds me. It reminds me a little bit of um, Beast of the Southern Wild. Oh, that's, that's, that's a bit of a facile... Uh, it, it does a little bit. It's a bit, bit of yeah. a facile uh, connection. But, By the way... Because they, they both take see, place in the South. Speaking of Beast of the Southern Wild... Uh, Which and, I loved. And, and, and the girl whose name I can never pronounce... Uh, She's an Annie. She's Annie. Have you seen the trailer for no, Annie? No, people love it. You know what? I, I, dude, I'm, it's like I want to hate the movie. I want to hate the trailer. I want to make fun of it so badly. I, I just want to rage against it. But by the end of that trailer, I'm like, son of a... You, you, you kind of got me. Who's directing it? You, 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 uh, gosh, I, don't, I can't even remember. Carol Reed? It, yeah, exactly. George Lucas? But, it, but I, it's like, you know, it's completely modern. It's not Depression era anymore, right? And, uh, you know, modern times are depressing enough. It's okay to... Exactly. But, I mean, and the only thing that doesn't ring true about it is that Cameron Diaz is just doing a ridiculous job of imitating Carol Burnett. That's, apart from that... That, that girl is amazing, man. I mean, like, we didn't know that in, you know, of course we knew it in Beasts of the Southern Wild, but it's like suddenly you're like, you, can, you're, you are not a one-note, you are an amazing little actress. You can sing and you're charming and I just want to hug you, I want to take you home. And not in like a, you know, you know <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but you went there. Not in like a, you know, a, a Dylan Farrow way, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, that's how dare you. Anyway, uh, so Criterion is uh, continuing to turn yeah. their DVDs over into Blu-rays. 
And uh, you got to check out uh, George Washington. It's just totally. terrific. It's about these young kids in the South and, and the life they lead. And it's not a very good life. And they have a lot of difficult choices to make as they become older. And, and it's just great. Fantastic. I don't know what happened to David Gordon Green, but it all started out great in um, George Washington. Fantastic. Check it out. All right. Real quickly, some foreign language films. Then I'm going to blow through the kid vid. And then we're out of here. Uh, the uh, Redemption Library, which is a lot of, you know, kind of Euro horror and Euro trash stuff, uh, of course, recently was acquired by uh, Kino. Uh, and Kino's been releasing all of that stuff and putting it all on Blu-ray. And uh, now the Jean Rollin films uh, that, have the, that are, you know, vampire-themed have been collected in the, uh, the vampire collection, the cinema of Jean Rollin. So these have all been released before, but you can get them in a nice boxed set now. The Rape of the Vampire, The Nude Vampire, Shiver of the Vampires, and Requiem for a Vampire. Uh, my daughter will not be seeing any of these anytime soon, if ever. But uh, Jean Rollin, a stylish French director, made really great kind of Euro trash at the time. And uh, it came over here as sort of, you know, artsy exploitation fair. And uh, it, it's just, you know what, I, I, as much as I make fun of Jean Rollin a lot, you, you watch these films, you, you kind of, there's something to them. So, I mean, if you are a vampire completist or if you're a Euro trash person, you'll, you'll dig it. They are, they are really, really good Blu-rays. And then also on the foreign front, uh, Broken Circle Breakdown, the Belgian film that was recently nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, that, was one of the ty- that was one of the categories I missed, you know, that I actually did not think that they would give it to um, The Great Beauty. Really? really, They they give it to The Hunt? I thought they'd give it to The Hunt. No. Because to really appreciate The Great Beauty, you have to have seen La Dolce Vita. And I just, I I thought, you know what, there are too many members of the Academy who've never seen La Dolce Vita, and they're going to watch that, and they're going to go, I I don't get it. It's like a whole lot of music and color and flamboyance, and I don't really, there's there's no no point But The Hunt was not, to me, was not uh, culturally specific enough for the Academy to give it a best foreign language Oscar. But it's damn good. Great Beauty is very culturally specific. True. And so, you know, I, I rolled the dice. I know it was a favorite. I thought that'd be an upset. So, shoot me. Anyway. Uh, really? I can shoot you? You can shoot me if you want. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go get the gun from the, from the, uh, the dungeon where we keep the gimp. Uh, so anyway, the, uh, the Broken Circle Breakdown, um, lovely movie by a director named Felix van Groningen. Uh, I'm sure it's something like Felix, Felix. van Groningen. <laughs> uh, if you're Felix van Groningen, some you know, Flemish pronunciation that'll just uh, kill me but anyway uh, this is a really unusual uh, love story and it's it's melodramatic but it's uh, it's got a cool little uh, like you know an angle on American music it dovetails a little bit with kind of Lewin Davis kind of you know it's sort of it makes for an interesting double feature in some respects. Anyway, and it's just it's a, it's just a lovely movie. It's a lovely unconventional um, uh, you know romance, and I I thought it was really cool. And then uh, beyond outrage, uh, did you see Takeshi Kitano's Outrage, the original Outrage, his from, film from nineteen whatever it was? No, well, it was like five or six years yeah, ago, yeah. whatever it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is the sequel to it. And I thought Outrage was kind of lame, to be honest. I thought Outrage was like minor Takeshi Kitano. I was like, dude, you're really, really stretching here. Uh, this is like the worst organized crime uh, Yakuza film that you have made in a very long time. Man, this one, it just turns it upside down. This is just relentless. It is bloody. It is awesome. It is hard. It is just rock hard. And I love it. It's so, beyond Outrage. It's beyond Outrage. And it really is. And I love Takeshi Kitano. I've interviewed the guy. He scared me. He scared me absolutely transparent while I was sitting there in his presence. Did I ever tell you this story? 
I, I, I yes, you did. I I, I, yes, you did tell me that story. No, he, he, he sent, because, you know, the reason that he's, he's paralyzed in his face, he had a, a motorcycle accident. He used to be a, a comic in Japan. He was like Mr. Mr. Ha Ha He He. And then he had this motorcycle accident, which paralyzed him in his face. Horrible accident. And he wasn't able to be a comic anymore. And he reinvented himself as this, like, art house filmmaker and he, these amazing movies. And, but he's still messed up. And I guess one of his eyes does not self-lubricate. So as I'm sitting there interviewing him, he's got like a little dish with kind of a little little moist towelette in there. And he talks to me. And every once in a while, he'd sort of pick up the little towelette and he'd like dab his eye in the corner like some kind of Bond villain to sort of like absorb the moisture or, you know, whatever. It's like the eye is screwed up. It doesn't work right. It lubricates too much or not enough or I don't know, whatever. But it was, it was I couldn't concentrate on the interview. I'd forget my questions. And he'd like be dabbing and I'd be watching and he'd finish and then there's this dead silence and, I, and I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what he do. I don't even know what he said. I don't even know what the next question is. It was very troubling. And he has to do that for the rest of his life? For the rest of his life. Yeah, it was very what troubling. did he do when he's sleeping? I have no idea. And I don't want to know. <laughs> I really don't want to know. What if there's a drought? I really don't want to know. Anyway, and then we got a Korean thriller here, a Korean action thriller called Commitment. And uh, it's a little uh, bit my bodyguard-ish. And uh, you know what? It, it, all you need to know is it's just some, it's, it, there's a whole kind of uh, political thing with the North and the South and defector. And uh, it, it, forget about all of the, uh, the spy intrigue and all of that. It's just really well made and it's really interesting and it's got some really great action. And it's worth checking out. If you like Asian action films, you're going to love it. All right, Mark. Now comes the, uh, the finale, the grand finale. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rock through as many of these as I possibly can. Because I know you hate this. You want to go home. You want this over. <laughs> How dare you? That is not true. Yes, it is. You, you know you can't stand it. So uh, here we go. We're going to pile through this, right? You ready for this? Anybody out I there? I am so you, you, ready. You got kids? You got kids? I am going to... You are a kid? I am, going to, I am going to tell you what your kids will and will not like. Here's what I'm going to tell you. All right? You got kids. All right, Friendship Adventures. Guess how much I love you. The Adventures of Little Nut Brown Hair. Mark, anything with the title, anything that has a character, a little nut brown hair, I'm sorry, that sounds vulgar. My child will not watch this. Um, Very Big Help, Strawberry Shortcake. It's kind of growing on me. Now that I have a daughter, I'm looking at Strawberry Shortcake and I'm not going stupidest thing in the world. I'm looking at Strawberry Shortcake and I'm thinking, that's kind of cute. Yeah, but now she's all like computer generated. It's, it's okay. It's not as... It's okay. Ugh. She's cute. She's cute. By the way, Peppa, Peppa Pig. You ever watch Peppa Pig? All the time. Love Peppa Pig. It's finally coming out on DVD. When it comes, I am going to go nuts. I'm going to talk about it for like the whole hour. I'm going to talk about Peppa Pig. Great. Then the don't... Uh, then Br- I will it, not be there for that show. British, British cartoon. Absolutely wonderful. Peppa Pig. Her best friend is Susie Sheep. It's the best thing in the world. Uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, Minirella, Dreams Do Come True. This is from Disney Junior. It is, of course, a computer-generated uh, Cinderella story with Minnie. And all this stuff from Mickey Mouse Clubhouse uh, gives me gas because it's just it's wrong. It's computer-generated. It doesn't look right. Uh, we got a lot of Peter Rabbit stuff coming up with uh, Easter and spring and all this. And everybody's getting their Peter Rabbit on. This is Nickelodeon's Peter Rabbit, which is perfectly fine. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's charming and it's nicely animated. And, uh, yeah, why not? Uh, you know, it's not, it's not quintessential classic Peter Rabbit, but sure, I'll, I'll go with it. So that's the Nickelodeon Peter Rabbit. And then we also have a Nickelodeon series, Essentially Spring. And these are all re-releases of things that they want you to pay attention to because now that it's spring. And one of them is, of course, a, a Peter Rabbit uh, title, Peter Rabbit Spring Into Adventure, which is perfectly charming. Uh, this one is Easter with Max and Ruby. I'm watching a lot of Max and Ruby now, actually, too. They're growing on me. They are. Max and Ruby? What? Thumbs up. 
Uh, Dora's Easter Adventure? Don't care. Dora creeps me out. I keep, think, I keep thinking of the Smigel short from Saturday Night Live. That thing is awesome. Which is awesome. I can't watch Dora the Explorer without thinking of that. Do it, beep. Do it. It's just too funny. Uh, and the same thing goes for Dora's egg hunt. I'm sorry. Dora just, she, she opens her mouth, and I, I just, I, I want to slap her. And then uh, more Max and Ruby, every bunny loves spring. And I got to, Max just makes me laugh. I don't know why, uh, now that I have a daughter, I look at this, and I'm like, that dude's funny. I don't know why I didn't think so before. Uh, Batman, Shadows of Gotham. Um, you know, good animation. Not sure that I, I, I like all of these different uh, episodes. Uh, there are 13 of them here. I didn't watch all 13. Watched just enough to sort of go... This really angular uh, DC animation is getting even more angular, and it's kind of starting to annoy me a little bit. So I'm not so sure I'm into it. Uh, let's see, a couple other uh, Nickelodeon titles here. Uh, Animals Everywhere. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, you know, this, is, uh, this includes, uh, this is basically the Bubble Guppies, uh, which I'm kind of getting used to. The Bubble Guppies, you know, they're like little mermaids and stuff. Big heads, little, yeah. Um, not bad. They, they're, 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 it's okay. I, I'm, I'm, it's sort of growing on me. I'm not quite sure I'm into it yet, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Mutagen Mayhem. Not good. Really not good. This, the, 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 the continued attempts to reinvent the Ninja Turtles is, is not really working out for me. Um, we've talked about the Drawing with Mark series in the past. And uh, this is for little kids. If you want to you know, sit them down in front of a DVD and with a pad and paper and have them learn how to draw stuff, uh, this is great. I'm sure I'm going to hang on to this stuff and uh, that it will, it will be wonderful for my daughter's uh, future as a, an artist who will be hanging in the Metropolitan Museum of Art someday. It's a goal. Yes. Have you ever been to the Met? I'm a fan of the New York Mets. Yeah, but you ever been to the Met in New York? Yeah. It's nice. It's, I, I'm it's sure. Freaking awesome. There's paintings yeah. and sculptures and yeah. restrooms and yeah, and a bookshop and everything. So uh, you get to on, on each of these. There are two different lessons. One is a day at the aquarium and something fishy. The other one is good to grow and life on the farm. So a nautical theme, and then a farm and backyard agricultural theme. Uh, we have an animated Noah's Ark, an, a complete animated film of Noah's Ark, which is uh, based on a book that I've never heard of. And uh, this, obviously, is being released by Shout Factory because they think that people, uh, and I love Shout Factory, but my, I'm thinking, if you think that this is going to get any traction from the Russell Crowe film, that people are going to like see the Russell Crowe film and go, hey, let's go check out that animated movie that has nothing to do with what we just saw. I, I don't think that's really going to work. I don't know. Call me silly, but it doesn't sound like it's going to work. Uh, a bunch of stuff from PBS Kids. Uh, I'm liking these more and more because they are intelligent. The Wild Kratts bugging out. Uh, maybe my least favorite of the PBS Kids uh, titles, but Daniel's Big Feelings, really good. Really cool animation. Very, very nice. This is from uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Uh, also from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Life's Little Lessons. Really, really great for the kids. Teaching them lessons. They don't feel like the parents are lecturing them. And then Caillou's Gold, uh, Garden Adventures from the Caillou series is lovely. Uh, this just has a whole sweet kind of uh, Euro animation vibe to it. Really enjoyed that. And then uh, more Peter Rabbit is The New Adventures of Peter Rabbit, which is uh, from the Enchanted Tales line, uh, family classics. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the Enchanted Tales stuff is a little bit, uh, a little forced. It feels a little pandering, but, it, it, you know, it, 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 it all has the same style. So if you like one, you'll like all the others. It also includes a double feature of Tom Thumb meets Timbalina and Princess Castle. Tom meets Thumbelina is kind of stupid. Uh, they also have a double feature of Treasure Island and Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, I kind of like this Tarzan, to be honest. Uh, that one I thought was okay. Treasure Island, not so much. 
And then they have Gulliver's Travels and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I can only think of the Disney uh, feature film Hunchback of Notre Dame, which this is not. This is more like Hunchback. Uh, this is more like Beauty and the Hunchback. It's it's a total Disney pastiche that just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's very strange. And Gulliver's Travels uh, also not so great. I much prefer the old uh, Fleischer Brothers animated film, which is one of the great original feature length animated films. I believe it was the second one after Snow White, wasn't it? It was, it was the third one after uh, uh, Rain Black. Okay, all See, right. Snow White and there's Rain Black. Uh, yeah, uh, okay, I suppose. Um, and then, uh, let's see, is there anything else here worth mentioning? Regular show, uh, I'm not big a fan of that. This is the Mordecai and Margaret pack, Mordecai. I'm going to say Mordecai. Uh, regular show is just one of those uh, Cartoon Network things. That is, is, it's kind of lost on me. They, it, it, why, Mark, explain to me. Why is animation now all about drawing things as badly as they can possibly look? Like adventure cool time. and hip and not corporate. It's got that basement feel to it. A bunch of dudes who are totally rad in your basement, guess. dude. I guess. Whatever. They stick it to the man. And Teen Titans, go! Uh, yeah, no, not so much. Um, attempting to do the whole, like, junior DC hero thing. Um, Teen Titans never really worked for me in the comic books, and it really doesn't work for me as these super weird angular deals. And then, um, lastly... Let's see, I'm going to make mention of only two at the end here, unless, no, Snowflake and the White Gorilla, no, that's, that's just creepy as all can be. I, it, it, seriously, look at that White Gorilla. Is that, that going to make a child scream or what? It looks like a... It's wrong. It, it's a koala bear with it's a human like, face. It has that, that, it has that family approved thing that they're all coming Yeah, but it's the Manson family. It's creepy. You know what it looks like? You know what that white gorilla looks like in Snowflake? Oh, I know. He looks like that character from Star Trek. The Mugato. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Do you really... Thank Nerds. you. Nerds. Do you really want your child... I mean, I guarantee you, the people who made this family approved did not think of that. David Spade, by the way, really good voice characterization on this. Keith David, Christopher Lloyd. They lined up a whole lot of people on this thing. The Snowflake, the white gorilla. But honestly, I mean, it looks like a Mugato. It's terrifying. And that thing bit Captain Kirk and then he had to, like, get the, you know, the thing that made him all sexually whatever. Anyway. Uh, Elmo's World, all about animals. Very cute. I still have, you know, uh, some issues with Elmo now that we know that the guy that voiced Elmo is a little, you know, um, has has certain appetites uh, for the underage. But uh, VeggieTales, Veggies in Space, The Fennel Frontier. Um, I'm trying to get with the VeggieTales because I know a lot of kids love the VeggieTales and uh, I'm not quite there yet, but uh, uh, a lot of the other parents that I know, they're, they're like, no, hang with it. It's kids will love it she'll love it when she sees the the cucumbers and the and the the, the potatoes and the whole yeah all right okay I'll, I'll hang with you so anyway veggies in space um i guess it's got a certain charm to it um i'll take somebody's word for it and um yeah so there we go mark done that's yeah. that's there we go so um, we are done, and uh, we will be back uh, next week. We, uh, we will still take in your emails and your Vox boxes at gods at digigods.com. Once again, gods at digigods.com. Emails and Vox boxes. Get them to us, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.